welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris, and my co-host for this episode is the lovely Lee. Hello. And uh, we've got a, we've got a, I was going to say fun, or like I think the better word is probably interesting one this for this week. Yeah, epic. Epic is definitely a, a good adjective for it. Uh, we watched Akira Kurosawa's 1980 film Kagamusha. Um, I'll say right off the bat as well, um, we were watching this and it was a beautiful sunny day here in Melbourne. Um, In the last two minutes before we sat down to record, it has started bucketing down with rain, so if you can hear that in the background. Some nice uh, background ambience. Exactly. It works for the tumultuous uh, (laughs) storm that is the the narrative of this film. Oh, good lord. Yes. Um, Yeah, so we'll start off, as usual, with the uh, Criterion synopsis, I guess. Uh, when a warlord dies, a peasant thief is called upon to impersonate him, and for them finds himself haunted by the warlord's spirit, as well as his own ambitions. In his late colour masterpiece, Kagamusha, Akira Kurosawa returns to the samurai film and to his primary themes of his career, the play between illusion and reality. Sumptuously reconstructed... Oh, sorry. Sumptuously reconstructing the splendour of feudal Japan and the pageantry of war... Kurosawa creates a historical epic that is also a meditation on the nature of power. Mm, I love the pageantry. Yeah. It was very pageantry. Very much so. So, like, right off the bat, this is, uh, as listeners will know, I am a massive acolyte of Kurosawa. I think he's one of the greatest filmmakers ever to live. Uh, Massive, massive fan. Uh, What's your experience with Kurosawa? Um, I was on the Seven Samurai episode a long time ago. E- episode two. And oh, we're now really? on episode 267. So. Yes, I'm trying to remember if I was on that or if I watched it with you. But yes, I remember loving Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and apart from that, you're not that familiar with much else. With no, Kurosawa. I'm feeling a little inept in terms of talking about Kurosawa because that is all I've seen. No, but that's, but that's fine. Like this... In particular for this film, because it is somewhat different from a lot of what he had done previously, I guess. Mm. Like, um, I mean, like, like the synop- Criterion synopsis said, it's him returning to kind of similar themes that he's dealt with in the past and definitely a style and setting with, like, all the samurai stuff. But in terms of how he's presenting it is kind of, I, I want to say, a bit different than what we're normally used to with Kurosawa. Yes, well, um, I had some questions about the pacing of the film, mm. and I was wondering if his other films um, are so slow-paced. Yeah, so that's that's the interesting one thing about this one. It goes for uh, three hours on the nose, <laughs> and it is very methodical. Mm. Um, it, in particular, like, okay, Seven Samurais, a movie that goes for nearly four hours, mm. but you do not feel its length because mm. it is paced so differently and it's a different type of film it's an action like adventure kind of you know we're gonna get the team together and it's the wave and like you know the combat and the training of the villages it's all of that stuff it's an action film whereas this one it's political political and historical yes um it, it's the thing that makes this kind of stand out for me against other Kurosawa's is, is like, uh, you were asking, like, yeah, how it's paced similar to his others. It's, it's kind of similar to Redbeard, which is a film about um, two, you know, a young doctor who is now then going to 
uh, practice at a regional hospital and is taken under the wing of an older doctor, which is Tashira Mafuni. And, um, you know, it's, it's three hours of the doctor, uh, the young, arrogant doctor learning what it is to actually be a doctor, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but what makes that interesting is it's three hours of character development, whereas Kagamusha, and this is what separates it to me from most Kurosawa's, is it's three hours of history mm. and not much in the way of character. Yes. There, there certainly is character development yes. there, but it's minimal. And I feel like a lot of the scenes are very slow and um, sort of uh, paying homage to the history, which mm. I, I don't have any knowledge or understanding about. Um, there's lengthy scenes where it feels like they're taking a moment to say, this happened, you know, this is huge. Oh, even so when it's like it cuts to specific dates of actual historical battles and yes. things like, yeah, it, it really delves into the nitty gritty of the kind of differing, uh, the, the warring warlords of different regions and the politics that went into that. Um, and despite the fact that it, it, it's given the opportunity to be presented through the eyes of an outsider, it doesn't really do that. Yes, I was wondering if in Japan um, people know this well. Is this something well known in Japan? Yeah, this is a map. Or it doesn't need to over explain or anything? Yeah, it it is a massive part of Japanese history and things. And so that's why, like, these are all famous battles and things. So that's why it's kind of presenting it as that. Mm. So it's just like, this is what's up. And so. This film, like most of Kurosawa's stuff and Toho Productions, was never necessarily meant to be a big international film or anything. It's just like, no, we're making a Japanese film for Japanese people, and yes. this is what that is. And it, so that's why I think it's a little bit less hand-holdy in like, yes. all the history stuff. Yes, and I felt like I probably need a little bit more hand-holding yeah. through it. As do I. I have no fucking idea no. about Japanese. <laughs> like, especially, like, you know, 1500s Jap- Japan. Like, I got nothing. Mm, I am lost. What we found interesting was the um, Catholic priests. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it got me questioning. Like, that was just popped in there. And that um, side, that group that was battling, you know, the main group, um, they, I'm assuming, adopted Catholicism, and that's why they were battling? Um, I don't think that was... I mean, I don't want to say that, like, again, like we said, we are novices in this history. Yes, we don't know why. I I think that's, uh, like, you know, that element is thrown in there as a, like, helping to kind of pepper out of, like, this is a time period and place Mm. of, like, this this emerging uh, Western religion is becoming known here in the East and then... um, and being adopted and then also that helps to kind of separate that clan from our main clan of, like... There's something that makes them the other or the the, the different one, yeah. And it was interesting because we hear the characters uh, talk about, you know, how they want to take down the other clan and all this, but you don't know why, you don't know what their politics are or anything like that. Sorry, there was a huge bolt of lightning. Yeah, wait wait for some... (laughs) Good Lord. Oh, my God. That was massive. <laughs> Are we keeping that in or editing yeah, oh, that out? Oh my god, I just shat my pants. <laughs> I wonder how my new cat's going. Oh my god. <laughs> Even Claire's come out too. <laughs> Alright. 
the cat has run under the couch. It is scared. All right. I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, be prepared for more of that list. Yeah. <laughs> Setting the tone. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what that is? That's the that's that's the uh, the dead warlord not telling us to proceed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's interesting how you uh, with the synopsis. I probably didn't pick up on this, but how um, uh, the Shinjen uh, spirit. Uh, I can't remember exactly how it's put, but um, the new um, double is sort of... The, the Kagamusha, the shadow yeah, warrior, yeah. Yeah, is sort of not possessed, but influenced or... It, it's almost like... Well, that's where the film gets super interesting for me, because, like, yeah, it's... Dream sequence? Or... Yeah, the yeah, dreams. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, on the synopsis, like you said, it, it's him being haunted by the spirit, and that's, that's the scene to me where it is Kurosawa fully getting into this film and it's it's him embracing the color to the most insane degree as well because um i think i was telling you like this is his third film in color out of yes. his entire he made 38 films i want to say 36 to 38 films yeah and this is only the third one in that career that is color and it's 1980 at this point so um he is having fun with color in this film yeah and it's like i was saying like early on there's these great sequences of like uh the messenger running through all the different um factions and the cavalries of like you know you've got uh what is it wind fire forest, forest. and mountain and it's this man who's covered in mud and dirt, like, running through. And then all these flags, like, it's almost like flowers is, blooming. Yeah. And it's beautiful to look at. But then the colour kind of gets understated. Yes. For quite a long period until we have Kagamusha having his dream sequence where he is confronted with the spirit of the dead emperor, or the dead warlord. And it's fucking insane. It yeah. is one of some of the most beautiful... It, it almost seems like something out of, like, a Quietan or something, like a, a, a different filmmaker's kind of film, but it's utilising the gorgeous watercolour paintings that mm. Kurosawa would do. Yeah. And just um, kind of establishing, here's where we are in the narrative now. Uh, we're we're going to kind of almost jolt you awake with yes. this odd fantasy sequence. And it's interesting that you said that it's understated for so much of it. Um, it's almost like he's cho- choosing his moments to bring the colour through and you're right, the jolting awake is uh, a very correct uh, term mm. to use because that scene just, like, sticks out. And and by that point, we're about an hour and a half, an hour 40 minutes into the movie and it's kind of at that point the themes and what he's kind of doing and saying with the film is starting to kick in. Yes. It, it takes a very... Which is, again, why I'm guessing you were like, are all of his films paced this fucking slow? Yeah. <laughs> not, a, not that it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just no. different. Like, for example, the very first scene, I would say... I mean, I love the dream scene, but I would say the first scene of the film is probably my favourite mm. because it's so... Like, I think you said at the time, it's like a stage piece. It's like we're mm. watching a stage play. And I don't know, I just felt like that scene was long. Seven, a seven-minute static shot that just kind of plays out almost like, yeah, like you said, like watching a stage play. And I loved it. I loved where that scene started and where it finished. And the, what, what that, how I view that scene, it's essentially the setting up of the chessboard. Yeah, I it, like that. It, it, you have, you know, you have Sinjin and his brother, um, uh, Nobukato, yep. um, there. And it's like, Hey, I've found this thief who was about to be crucified that looks like you if we ever need another double yes. like just this offhand 
and, and Shinjin's like, yeah, we'll just keep him around in yes. case thereof. And it's just like seven minutes of setting up perfectly the relationship of who Shinjin is as a leader, his relationship with his brother, how his brother is as a person, and then also the wild nature of the Kagemusha there. Yes. And you you set everything up in this, and there's nothing fancy about it, just a fucking super wide shot with three people, everything's set up, titles, let's go. Yes. <laughs> it's but the cold open, yeah. It's a very cold open, but I love it. Mm. Yeah, it was great. And I love how we go in that scene, um, Shinjet is quite... Um, He's, he's already showing us that he's the mountain and he doesn't react to the accostings of the double. Um, but then we have a follow-up scene where the old man, a little bit later, he's in um, a room and um, Shinjen's cracking the shits and the old man's just like, you, you're acting like a petulant child, you know. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the old man who is uh, Takashi Shimura, who is, uh, I think, acted in like 16, 17 Kurosawa films. Um, mm. he, he's a... Uh, He's our Gondo from uh, Seven Samurai. He's our lead in Ikaru. He's the fucking greatest. Like, yeah. He's, yeah. People always say, like, uh, you know, with Kurosawa, it's him and uh, Toshiro Mifune. It's like the Scorsese, De Niro, or DiCaprio kind of thing. It's like, yes. no, no, but this motherfucker was in way more movies with him. And I think did, like, Mifune's the flashy one, whereas this guy's like, no, no, no. This, this is like Scorsese with Harvey Keitel. Like, it's a Joe Pesci. It's like the subtle work. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I loved seeing him pop up in another one of his films again. Yeah. And I love that scene how we get a little bit of a glimpse of the real Shinjin. Um, and then he obviously passes. And then the double. <laughs> I love the double's subtle uh, differences in his body language and everything. Like, mm. the way he just sort of slumps forward when he's talking and... Um, it's interesting because when we're introduced to the page, uh, pages and the assistants, I was like geared up for a, not like a training montage. <laughs> you know, like, no, that's a good way to put it. But yeah. like, they're, they're here to help you. They're going to guide you. They'll always be with you, but they you be frank with them and they're here to help you. And then we don't really see them do anything except in the moment. So... I thought maybe behind the scenes they would go, right, this is how he sat, this is how he walked, this is how he talked. You know, you get a bit of that. This is how he like, eats, this is, yeah, all yeah. of these things, yeah, his mannerisms, but essentially. all we get is them sort of stepping in in the real world um, when he's chatting with the grandson, for example, or, um, yeah, it's interesting. But what I, like, but what I dig about that scene, like, that, I think that's probably my favourite scene in the whole film, is... Like, it, it's because it starts... It, it's these little subtle things that Kurosawa does where, like, the, the pages and the assistants, they don't bow to the, the imposter. They, yeah. they only bow to the brother who is actually a lord. Um, like, little things like that. And then the second the brother leaves, they have a... Rela- they, they shift to a relaxed posture and introduce themselves. And it, it, it's a way... Then he, you know, they're like, he would never sit like that. He would never do this or whatever. And then the imposter shifts into the, okay, well, you want to see what I'm going to do as my imposter thing and does it and makes one of them cry. And they all shift their posture into, well, this is what he's doing and he's reflecting that man. So let's then ourselves reflect back and be present how we would to that. Like, and it's a subtle thing of, okay, this guy's going to get it. Mm. And also it's not actually that fucking hard, Mm. which is the interesting thing. I think that, 
the film doesn't necessarily explore that much explicitly. It mm. does it in those little scenes like that where he, the imposter takes to it so fluidly that it's he's so adept at it, which is how he gets so close to the grandson and how he finds it so easy and he becomes overconfident. And it's only in those moments of like occasionally having the nightmares or actually faced with the real duties of what a lord has to do when he's in battle that it actually the reality kind of comes crashing in for him. I love the scene with the grandson. That's not my grandfather. Yeah. <laughs> Instantly. Yeah. Get, like you can't put in anything past the kid. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah, fucking yeah. know what is up. Yeah, mm. I love that. But it, it's an interesting film, like you said, because you expect to have those sort of scenes where, you know, it's it's the training montage, it's the let's get into the psyche of who is this person that is going to be, you know, taking over this role as the warlord, how is that affecting, like, you know, you, you have a thief, a criminal who is going to be crucified, all of a sudden leading these, you know, massive, like thousands of men in an entire region, how does that weigh on his psyche? Mm. And the film doesn't really deal with that, Mm-mm. which is the surprising thing about it for a Kurosawa film is it focuses more on history yes. than the character development and the emotionality of it all. Yes, I agree. And I, I, I would have liked to have seen more character and more of that mm. side of things, but he's decided... And it was interesting for me, I mean, jumping probably around a bit, but Mm. um, you mentioned that he's a big fan of Shakespeare and takes a lot of influence from Shakespeare, and Mm. there's so much that you're waiting to see that you don't, for example, battles. I would even say the final battle scene you don't actually see. I feel you're there, you see it, but you, you don't. You don't see it at the same time. And what's interesting with those as well is, like, they have the extras, they have the scale and the scope to film... A battle scene, but instead we're going to play it out on a close-up of the imposter watching from the bushes. Mm. Like, and that, because that's like him drawing it back in. It's like, none of this shit matters. What matters is how this actually reflects, like, how it impacts this guy. Yeah. It's, uh... Which makes the ending so fucking sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's not what I'm used to as a Western audience. Mm. And it's... I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just it's something I haven't seen before, and I kind of I don't know. I, I liked it. it. It's a very different film, and like I I keep going back to like kind of different from a lot of Kurosawa in that like he's predominantly known. He has like again fucking with form and structure and things like Rashomon and things, but then it's also things like Seven Samurai, your Jimbo Sanjuro and things. They are actiony films for lack of a better term like your jimbo is a fucking clint eastwood western like remade as like it's you know that's what he does and is amazing at but him explore this is him doing his historic epic i feel and it's and it's weird because historically that happened so why wouldn't he show us exactly well what is the artistic choice in that moment to not show us all these different things i think it's a shift in focus from him as a filmmaker being like I've so much in the past dealt with how, like, concentrated my stories on let's delve into the individual and the emotions of an individual. Like, I mean, uh, high and low, uh, Ikaru, all of these being, like, fucking high watermarks for emotional character-driven cinema. Like, Ikaru in particular, like, Jesus Christ. And then I think him shifting it to just be like, I'm essentially going to do... A historic epic blockbuster, for lack of a better term, 
I think that's kind of comes in probably because of where he was in his career as well. Um, with this film, he had a lot of trouble. He was in a deep depression and it took him, it, it had been years since he'd been able to make a film. Like no one would finance a film of his anymore. And so I think that shift in the narrative focus away from intimate personal explorations of character into doing something about the history of Japan on a big grand epic scale is a conscious move to be like, well, if I can't get what I would normally get made to let me kind of shift my perspective slightly, I'll still have pepperings and little elements of that in there, but let's shift it over to do this, this grander kind of thing that hopefully that might attach, like, you know, get people interested and get me a budget and be able to get me to make a yeah. fucking movie again so I don't have to try and kill myself again. Yeah, so, so what did you say he attempted, what, two years prior to it coming out? Yeah, so, um, he, I'll open up his filmography because I want to get the years right, but it was, um, so, I've got his IMDb open just so I have, like, some dates and stuff, like, this is, this is a Kurosawa history minute, everybody. Yes. So, you know, he's, he's been a filmmaker working since the early 40s and things, and then post-war is sort of where he really starts to shine with films like Drunken Angel, Stray Dog, and then in 1950 wins the Academy Award with Rashomon, which is a brilliant film that fucks with form and structure and what you can do with a film, it's, um... Which, which award did he win? Uh, foreign language film. Oh. Um... And then post that, you've got him doing Ikaru, which I think is one of his masterpieces, Seven Samurai. Like, he's, he is king shit director. It's like, um, I was watching the behind, the, one of the special features, and it's, I think, a Coppola saying on the Blu-ray, like, he, there, there were the three directors we heard about in film school, like, in, in America in the 50s, and it was Kurosawa, Fellini, and Bergman. Like, yeah. those were the ones where you're just like, holy shit, these yeah. guys are... Gods. Film gods. Yeah, and then, you know, he continues his run, Seven Samurai, Throne of Blood, Lower Deaths, as I'm not a fan of. <laughs> <laughs> Hidden Fortress, and then, like, you know, Yojimbo Sanjiro, then, you know, uh, High and Low in 63, Red Beard in 65. Um, High and Low, I think, is his masterpiece. That's my favourite of all of his films. Redbeard, like I talked about earlier, this three, three and a quarter hour intense character drama where not much happens. It's character development, character drama. It's like reading a novel. Um, and then it's five years he can't get a film made. I'll, it's not that he didn't want to make it, he couldn't get it made. Yeah, and then he made a film called uh, Dodeska Den, which is his first... Uh, he made that in 1970. It was his first film in colour. And it bombed. Fucking horribly. Is it bad? Uh, I, it's one of the few Kurosawa's I've never Insane. actually seen. I was going to order it on the Barnes & Noble sale, just like blind buy, be like, I love Kurosawa, I, I just need this for my collection. And uh, I couldn't order it, which sucked. So I am still yet to see it. Is um, it in the collection? Yes, yes it is. All, pretty much every Kurosawa film is in the oh, collection. Okay. Um, and so after that, he was fell into a spiral of a deep depression and attempted suicide and things and just couldn't get was running out of money and you know it was it was it's really sad do we know why he couldn't get a film made if he's if he's film god japanese film god why couldn't he get movies made in the same sort of it's just that he his films didn't make money it's, it's that thing of the slow transition of film away from being a art form into a commodity gotcha that that's horribleness and um so you know spirals into a deep depression and then eventually he um makes a film called uh Dursu Uzala in Russia he makes a Siberia a film in Siberia uh as a Japanese director like he could only he had to make films elsewhere right. 
uh, then wins another Academy Award with that film, and then still can't get a fucking movie Jesus. made. Jesus. So is that with, um, like, Russian yep. actors? Yes, it is. And he's uh, credited as Akira Kurosawa with a <laughs> B instead of W. <laughs> Was that an accident? <laughs> I don't know. But, um, yeah, so it is, it, it's coming at a time in his, like, and then it's, an, so it's, in the span of 10 years, this master filmmaker couldn't, could only get two films made that financially flopped. Yes. Um, one got critical claim and won him an Academy Award. But it, it's he can't he doesn't have that juice anymore to be able to make this and this is what he wants to make is Kagemusha this big historical epic and so it, I think it is that shifting it away from all right the stuff that I want to make that yes. had been making wasn't gaining traction with an audience so I need to shift my perspective and like what it's I'm still able to in, infuse that kind of stuff in there but it can't be as overt and that can't be the crux of the film if I'm making a film about the people behind these classic battles, I need to show these classic battles and, like, the war of it all. I can't concentrate on a guy who's on the sideline and what he's emotionally going through. As interesting as we, as an audience, want that, it's... To be honest, I feel like maybe that, for me, was maybe what was lacking. I I 100% agree with you. Because, I mean, (laughs) there was... It it was was beautiful. There, There were moments I was, like, in or of this film particularly um there was a moment where um the double is having to be the mountain in a battle and then there is a red sky that's flashing blue we don't see the battle yeah but i'm like whoa you just see this fucking beautiful it, it looks like david lean like lawrence of arabia style photography like it's amazingly shot the scene where the double is brought out to all the lord um noble people to well we don't have to say that he's dead because we've got this guy and you made a comment i love the wind in this scene it mm. just builds tension like they they were it, it's an awesome beautiful film but i found myself a bit detached yep it, it's very clinical in what in its dialogue and story presentation, not in its delivery of that. Like the cinematography, the editing, the music, everything is costumes. The fucking, fucking costumes. The craft behind making this film is insane. The scale of this film, the 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 huge number of extras, and ugh, it is it's gorgeous. It, it's just a bummer. It's in service of like a very clinical presentation of that type of story i guess clinical is the word and it it had so many opportunities i was really in love with the doubles character and like i was saying before the subtle way he held himself or like how he just inappropriately laughs or then his turmoil and trying to become this man that he is and he doesn't really know from a bar of soap yeah having to learn it and then getting really invested and really wanting to be this guy at the at the end where he can't be anymore and he's devastated Mm. and and Um, you get the glimpse of that early on as well like when he makes the decision to become the double it's it's that great scene where it's like they they're dumping the body into the lake and he's hiding off in this rusted old shack and the spies are there and he rushes out to be like, go fucking do them. Like, yes. you know, what are you doing? Yes. And it's it's at that moment he has the realisation of them like, no, we're going to tell him everyone tomorrow. It's fine. Doesn't matter. Fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> Fuck off, much. essentially. <laughs> what are you doing here, weird drunk thief? Go away. Yeah. <laughs> um, but his performance and as a character, he, it perfectly establishes it. Like, okay, 
this could have easily been a character that is doing it for ulterior motives. Like, I brought up when we were watching it, like, it, it's Hugh Jackman in the Prestige. was like, <laughs> I played Faust! <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That, his, his drunk double. He's yes. doing it to get booze, money, and women. Like, he's not doing it for any other motive than personal gain. Whereas here, Kagamusha is... He... He sees the worth for... for his people to yes. do this it's it's not he's not doing choosing to do it for personal gain he, like he got his ultimate personal gain he got freed he's yeah. not gonna be crucified he's not gonna die and just like fuck off you're free just fuck off and what i'm assuming was money at the end uh yeah they sort of slipped him some like you know thank you for what you did and but which is even more heartbreaking because he doesn't want to take it he's no, just like he no i want to stay yeah <sighs> which is like that's that's what that's the that's this film is yes. the growth of this character learning like the fact that in the open, that amazing open seven-minute shot, he is a guy who's like, "Fuck you, dude! Yeah, fuck you, off. you call me a fucking criminal, but you you murder thousands of people." Like he's so outspoken, but then you see, he sees firsthand what the Lord, what uh, Shinjen means to people, and what he represents. And it, it's not for a. I, I don't ever think it's for a thirst for power that he is, uh, takes over that role. It's a seeing a sense of this could mean something yes morality yeah this is the right thing to do so that's why i'm going to do it you know what broke my heart when he wants to say goodbye to the little grandson oh. at the end and they're like how rude get out and they fucking throw rocks at him like he's fucking harry from harry and the henderson like get out of here bigfoot <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love their little relationship, the grandson and him. That's yeah. You wanted some. I scenes. wanted more of that. Yeah, you wanted some scenes where it is just the two of them alone. Yes. Not with having the guards or anyone else around, or the the uncle and things like. You want just a scenes where it's him as a person who has taken over this man's life, adapting to it and. By doing so as well, he is slowly making the legacy of the man whose life he's taking over better. Better. I, f- I feel like um, maybe I'm a stupid Westerner and we don't need to be so explicit <laughs> with things, but I-, I wanted that. You want the cheesy, like, the James L. Brooks version of yeah. this movie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want the Jack Nicholson, like, you make me want to be a better man. Yeah. <laughs> like, you want that. <laughs> I do. There's, there's yeah. so much thinking in this film and, and scratching beards and subtlety. And military strategy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of military strategy. And, like, it, it's... Like, I, I think I, I was going to say... I think I said in the episode... Like, when we are watching it, sorry, like, you almost wanted the different warlords to be colour-coded just to make it a little bit easier for the Western audiences. Oh, uh, yeah. Which I, I can't believe I'm actually fucking saying, like, you know, loving... Never having an issue with, like, stuff like that but, before, but, but it is... I also think that... It's so clinical that you need yes. something like that to help telegraph to you, like... And I'm not honestly sure of the bad guys or the other guys' motivation... Well, no, that's the thing, and that's kind of what what I kind of love about it is that's not important. The reason why these feuding warlords are challenging each other's territory, that's not what's important. What's important is our narrative story of following this guy mm. who is his double, which is why it's kind of disappointing that it shifts so far away from that at points to be about military strategy. And is the, he actually dead? And is this an imposter? Like... Like, as an audience, we don't care what these other people think about. We care about 
the 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 three characters, four characters we care about as an audience, I think, is the imposter, so the Kagemusha, the grandson, the brother, and the son. Like that is our anchor to this film, yes. and the we we get brief moments thereof of, in particular, the uh, Shinjin's brother and Shinjin's son saying, talking about how they could never escape the shadow of mm. Shinjin, and you're like, that's that's what this is. And you need to have almost those cheesy moments where you have the imposter be like, well, this is your moment to shine because I am not your father. I'm not your brother. Like, this is this is your moment now. Take this and run. I am now here to help you facilitate that. Yes. Um, that ends up happening, but it's not... You don't have... It happens behind closed doors to some degree. Like, you have the scene of, like, the sun... And that those beautiful shots where he's in his cabin with the ocean and the mountains yes. behind, talking with his advisor, and you're like, "This is so impassioned and emotional." You want to have him have a scene where he explodes at the imposter as if he was his father. Yes, like that would have been just that's like the emotional core stuff for this. Yes, <laughs> and you have it somewhat with the the brother, the brother taking over and like kind of dealing with the um, with the imposter. You've got that stuff, but it's not. It's not fully there. Yeah. That's why it'd be... I would love to see more of Kurosawa's films just to compare a little bit better. But, I, yeah, I I just felt a little bit lacking in this film for all that stuff. But wanting it. It's yeah. almost there. It's, it's there. It's all, Which makes it, me wonder if there was, like, a five-hour cut of this movie Oh, my or God. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but, but that being but, said, if there was a five-hour cut of this film that had all of that stuff in there... I'd fucking lap it up. <laughs> like, it, I would be all in. <laughs> and it's interesting. Every scene develops a story along. There's not one scene that shouldn't be there. Yeah. There's not one scene that's just pointless. It's it's all bringing you along. You're, you're furthering into the story. But I don't know. Like I said he, before, I'm stupid Westerner. I probably need a little <laughs> bit more hand-holding. I think the phrase that I kept saying is, like, he is taking his time threading this needle. Yes. Like, it takes... A, he's just slowly stretching it out for us. And for the time for the actual, quote-unquote, like, narrative to really kick in is about an hour, hour and a half. And then for the emotional core to kind of kick in for you as an audience is two hours in. And at that point, you've got an hour left, and you're like... Which is mostly taken up by battle, battle sequence. sequence. That being said, the way that he plays out those battle sequences with the imposter reacting to them and realizing yes. this is the role of the Lord is uh, incredible. Uh, yes, I do love... Um, I, I was mentioning it before, the mountain scene, which is what I'm calling it, um, where there's the battle going on and we don't see any of it. Yeah. None of it. It is only about the imposter's reaction to it and how he handles it and how he shifts into Shinjin. And Kurosawa cleverly bring it, like... Because that's the problem with, I think, a lot of generals is the the detach from the individual. Like, being able to command an army as, like, I don't know them, I don't have an individual connection to them, and where the it affects the imposter is when the pages and the assistants start dropping. Mm. And he loses three of the five. Yeah. And, and oh, sorry, two of the five. Or something. And yeah. earlier we get told now this is your family. Yeah, it, it it brings it into a personal stakes for him, and that's he so brilliantly plays it as like 
I, I now know what it means to be a warlord and do I is this what I want and he in by no way shape or form is what we're used to say with Braveheart the, mm. the um, heroic um, battling mm. you know he is terrified through that scene he's yeah. so scared there's nothing glorious about him he's just trying to hold it together um through that whole scene i loved it it's amazing yeah yeah it, and then that's the kind of stuff that that like that's the kurosawa i know and love like yes. it, it's that it's it's completely conveying everything you need to know about this character's emotions and their like what they're going through mentally purely visually and it's fucking incredible yes. it just sucks that it came at the two hour 20 minute mark yeah <laughs> Not that it sucks, like, you know, that, no. yeah. you, I, you I, want more of that. I found myself invested in him, but damn, it took me a long time to become invested. Yeah, yeah. Really long time. Mm. Um, like, I, I feel I should say, like, I don't, like, we're kind of shitting on this movie a little bit, but that's by no means meaning it's a bad film. Um, this, for me, it's kind of mid-tier Kurosawa. I'd seen it twice before. Um, it, I kind of put it in that same realm as, um, it, it's nowhere near as bad as, um, my, my least favorite is definitely the lower depths. I, I really did not like that. Mm. This is kind of like a hidden fortress Sanjuro for me, like mid mid level. Like it's not, and, it, and it's purely because of that lack and that emotional depth that you want. And to me, now that you've told me the history a little bit, it's sort of coming together and making sense, and it's probably reflecting Kurosawa at the time a little bit. And yeah, and that's a shame that he's he's sort of afraid to to be himself to make his to make this maybe the way he wanted to i don't know yeah um but also like all of that being said like looking at like we've talked briefly about and this is kind of where i want to shift and go into is the scope and the depth oh. and the brilliance of this film kurosawa was 74 years old when jesus he made this film. christ <laughs> this <laughs> film is stunning and it's made by a 74 year old man <laughs> It is. And you were telling me all the sets were built for this? Uh, some of the castles were real castles, but then also a lot of them were facades, and they basically travelled up and down the entire length of Japan to try and find gorgeous locations. And, like, the the first one that comes to mind is when they um, are transporting the king, the, uh, this is not the king, the, the wounded lord, uh, Shinjin, back. Yes. And they're on top of the mountain with him in that box, and just that... Like, we're like, well, it's like we're watching Lord of the Rings right now. Oh my god, they're Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, they're just trekking across a mountain here. This is amazing. Yes. Um, they, yeah. they, it was, and I love how incidental a lot of it was. Mm. Like, there was a scene, this is not incident, but like, there's a scene where the um, army are going through in the sun, and the, and there's um, what I can imagine is smoke or, or oh, dust it, it, or something. Oh, it's dust being kicked up from all the marching. Gorgeous. But then there's just incidental scenes where one of them opens a window, and you're like, fuck me, look at that beautiful shot. Oh, yeah, like, you know, the, the scene where they open the window, and it's all of a sudden you realize you're on a mountaintop, and there's snow outside. Oh, outside. Wait, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the su- and that's where Kurosawa like the use of color as well. Like all of a sudden it opens it up and it's blue outside. And that was the sun talking about the mountain. He yes. opens up the window and there's a mountain. Like, and just like visual storytelling. Yes, I love, love, loved it. It, it, it this could be this could be a travel a travel ploy to get like people to come to Japan. This is, is so co-financed by tourism <laughs> Japan. <laughs> Um, but like, so I, I wish I kept tally of how many times we talked about or noticed a shot where we didn't say like, "Hey, that's a beautiful looking shot." Yes. But we, but we talked about 
how beautiful the framing was of the individuals within the shot. There, there was a scene where um, the imposter has cracked into the um, jar. Hmm. Um, I don't know what you'd call that. It's like, yeah, they're, they're preserving the body. body. Of the, yeah. Um, and then they've tied him up and they're deciding what to do with him. Yeah. Some people want to kill him. Some people want to keep him and see how we go. Um, and then the brother is sort of, he doesn't know what he wants to do. So he's in the foreground blue mm-hmm. in focus. And then the background, there's the rest of the Lord's. And the imposter and the scene continues and you kind of forget the brothers there and then hang on, hang on, this shot is fucking unreal. Yeah. The choice of lighting, the, the oh. It, it, it's the taking notes from like traditional Japanese paintings of like framing in a, like in what you have presented in your image is like meticulous of like, mm. it, it's like, you know, fucking Wes Anderson got nothing on Akira Kurosawa yeah, yeah, <laughs> in terms yeah. of placement within a frame like it, it's amazing how many times that subtly pops up or like how he'll subtly zoom in or shift his camera to a degree like yes yeah it, it, it's an incredible technical film yes yeah um which for me is probably what got me through it to yeah be honest. yeah like it, it, it lacked what it lacks in narrative it more than makes up for in technicalities and i'd imagine kurosawa at this time not making many or very much film for the last 10 years is like i'm gonna fucking make a film yes <laughs> i'm gonna shoot the shit out of this and it's almost i almost view this one as almost a dry run for ran which he would then make so this is 1980 and then ran comes out in 1985 and that's him going kind of the melding of the old kurosawa with this kind of new form epic where it's him adapting Shakespeare's King Lear and doing it into feudal Japan and doing it on this epic like you, you thought Kagamusha was epic hold my beer yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm do this <laughs> and that's like where I mean jumping ahead a couple like you know 20 films or whatever till we get to Ram like he fucking gets his first ever Academy Award nomination for best director for Ram like you know he's he's acknowledged on a massive global scale as like you are this is a massive achievement. And so it, this is, it, it, it's the stepping stone to, yes. yeah. It, it's him dabbling in a new medium or a new style of filmmaking and kind yes. of finding his feet. I yes. Guess. Yes. And I'm glad that we can be honest about our thoughts and not be like, oh, Kurosawa, God, let's just like, oh, you should hear Tom and, you should hear Tom and I tear the fucking lower depths apart. I hated that movie. Yeah. It was a two and a half hours in one room shack that was boring as shit. Yes. The Renoir version is way the fuck better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, mm. Something I wanted to say, which sort of harks back to what we were talking about earlier, about the not scene. I remembered um, in the beginning of the film, we don't see Shin Jen get shot. Instead, yeah. we hear the rumours that he's been shot. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on that choice. Is it because we're actually not interested in Shin Jen, we're interested in the double? Yes. Is, is, is that what he's trying to do? Imagine not showing the scene where he gets shot, but instead choosing to only have the the um rumor of him being shot mm. so interesting like for me i was like was he wasn't he he wasn't because otherwise we would have seen, seen it yeah um and then much later we get to see him wounded and all that but um yeah it, it, that i think leans back to back something that you were saying initially like the big way gone way back to the beginning of the yes. episode where you said it's him doing a very shakespearean kind of 
presentation where it's you don't you, like you don't see the king die. You have a messenger run in in tears and say the king is dead. Yes. That's and that carries the emotional weight of the news to the audience and we the audience getting to see how those closest to him react to that. What? And that's what this film is kind of it's it's leaning into that kind of Shakespeare stuff. Do you know why he's so, or when, or how, or how he became so interested in Shakespeare? It's oh, really but, interesting. But who who isn't as a storyteller? Like he, it's like so, yeah, yeah, it's it's Shakespeare is fucking god. Like you know, he's like I, a, I'm an unabashed like a Japanese huge fan. Like he's he's yeah. I suppose so. A Japanese storyteller himself. It's classic literature. It's, it's, it's uh, apparently as well. I saw in the trivia, like while he was making this film, he was reading Tolstoy's War and Peace. Like he was just a fan of world literature and yeah. like anything that is good That's storytelling. Rad. Like uh, you adapt and you like, you know, if you live an insular life of like, no, I just want to tell my stories, and, as opposed to exposing yourself yes. to, yeah. Yeah. Like, Throne of Blood is one of my favourite Kurosawa films, and that's just him doing a straight-up fucking version of Macbeth. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. With, in Samurai. It's like, why can't you take these traditionally English and, or, I mean, in the case of Macbeth, Scottish stories, yes. and then what, what's to say you can't take that exact story and those themes and what it's talking about and transpose it into something that affects my country or talks to my language? Like, why not that? Like, it, it is interesting because you said he started in early 40s. Yeah, 1941, I want to say, is his first film. Yeah. So obviously he's not, you know, I'm just thinking Japan and England in that time or Japan and, you know, the yeah, Western world in like, that I time. Mean, We're not exactly... He really comes into his own, like, you know, I post-war is yes. when he really starts to become. Like, I mean, I have not seen a lot of... I haven't seen... There's an Eclipse box set of uh, pre-war Kurosawa films or early Kurosawa. I haven't seen those. Uh, the earliest Kurosawa I've seen is um, Drunken Angel from 1948. So... Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa's like, I got nothing. Yes. Um, but yeah, it, and it's... Even so, he's a filmmaker that as he goes along, like, Drunken Angel and Stray Dog and things and Scandal, um, those films... It's it's like any filmmaker where it's like you see them slowly developing and learning what they like and their visual style and how they present a story and learning and developing and honing that craft as it goes along. Which is why I think in this film we have, even though what it lacks for in the narrative story, you, it more than makes up for in its technicals because it is a man at the top of his fucking craft. It, it's like watching... Like, this is like, like sound shitty, but like, it's like watching Kubrick do a Civil War doco. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's very clinical in the way that it's presenting its story, but the visuals and the technicality behind it is amazing. Yeah. No, he's at the height of his career in technical. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's but a I feel master. like he's he's a bit muffled in his ability to tell. Yeah. But, yeah. And, and, but then that's why I love that, you know, you come five years later with Ran being released, and it is just... So this film obviously didn't bomb. Uh, no. No, it did okay. Yep. And then for, like you said, the stepping stone, now that he's made this film, he can jump, leapfrog off this into... Into Ran, which is like his his biggest epic he ever yes. makes in his entire career. And then after Ran in 85, he um, then makes a film in 1990 called Dreams, which I think I talked to you about while we were yes, watching this, yes. where it's him 
just making a couple of short stories about dreams he actually had. It, it's him shifting them back into personal. And he's old as fuck by that point. Yeah, uh, and then he his last one was in 1993, and then he dies in 1998 at 88 years old. So he's in his 80s by this yes. point, where he's making his final three films of dreams, perhaps he's in August in Madadale. Um, it's interesting. We were talking about the choreography of the, um, the massive armies, and... And often we're having an intimate scene between two characters, but, you know, just behind them there's, like, about 100 people on horses just walking by. Yeah, just, like, way the fuck in the background like, is this giant choreography of an army. Imagine being the director and you're on set and then you've got two to three actors that you're directing. But at the same time, <laughs> like, getting that shit going on. I'm like, what the fuck? Well, um, he... Uh, I'm going to jump ahead to some stuff I had for trivia here. He actually had some help with all of that, actually. Um, you think so. Yeah. Uh, More thunder and lightning in the background. Excuse that. (laughs) Uh, So apparently uh, he relied on advice from his friend uh, Ishihiro Honda, who was another filmmaker, um, and he was also in the military. uh, So he knew tactics and how to, like, actually command... I think, uh, so due to his military experience and knowledge about special effects filmmaking, because Ishihiro Honda is the director of Godzilla. Ah. Yes, the original Toho Godzilla from 1950, Um, and so he was a big special effects director and thing, like, you know. That's the man you want on set. Yeah, and and given that he had military experience, uh, so Honda would direct and coordinate the formations of all the soldiers in those big epic scenes for Kurosawa and shoot second unit for him. With this film, just because they were buddies. Oh, that's good. Because <laughs> yeah. you'd have to literally speak to your extras like an army, right? Yeah. Everyone, formation! That's why I'm, it's like, I'm not a big fan of Spartacus, but like, seeing those army manoeuvre scenes in Spartacus are like, yeah, this is just fucking Kubrick on a giant, like, <laughs> lifesaver chair, like, you know, at the beach chair with a megaphone, just like, right, like, the, you know, just yes. fucking left, right, turn left, like, you know. Yes. Treating them like fucking soldiers. Like, yes. It's insane. But, not that you'd have to, but it would be very effective. Yeah, I mean, no, <laughs> it, it's probably better that you don't. No. Yeah. <laughs> but to get something like that across, and, yeah. I don't know, but, like, the costume design, the use of colour really comes into its own. Uh, The music's a bit of an interesting one for me. Yeah, see, okay, so I'm not very familiar with it, Um, but you pointed out at one point, oh, this sounds like Star Wars. Yeah, there's some really big orchestral swells in this film that seem... Especially since the film opens with the 20th Century Fox logo. Yeah. (laughs) That it really feels like, oh, this is like a John Williams-esque, like epic score which you're not used to necessarily even in seven samurai it's still a very traditional japanese score despite this giant actiony epic stuff happening it, it it feels like a very westernized score only in some parts though can i ask so um you did mention this but i've forgotten um fox did they produce from the beginning? No. Or are they like the Disney that, like, you know, distributes the um, studio deeply? They're distributing? What are they doing? Well, um, I've got all of that info in the trivia. Do we want to jump to that now? Do you, do you have anything, final thoughts? Or do, fuck it, do we just jump into trivia now? Jump into trivia. Alrighty. Um, I'll start with my usual bullshitty trivia, and then we'll get into the fox of it all, yes. if you don't mind. Uh, so the film was nominated for two Academy Awards. Um, best Art Direction and Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, it didn't win either. Mm. Uh, it was nominated for the Golden Globe of Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, you were going to ask what won, weren't you? 
What do you mean? Like what? Ooh. What one best foreign language? Oh over yes, it. yes, yes. Um, I looked it up earlier today, and now I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> what did you bring Actually, it up I've for then? It was nominated. It was nominated. Um, it was like a Scandinavian film, I believe. Um, cool. That apparently is really good. I can't remember. It. <laughs> but really but do you know what? Western awards don't matter. Yeah, they, they, they... That film wasn't for them. That, that's the whole thing. Like, the Oscars, like, I include them because it's like, whether you like it or not, yes. the Oscars uh, do carry weight. Weight, yes. To them. Um, but, you know, they are not the be-all and end-all. Mm. There are way... Like, awards in, at the end of... Uh, like, yeah. Red Letter Media summed it up so best. It's like, it is an industry awards night. <laughs> it, yes. it doesn't carry any weight. It is... Yeah, that's what it is. And it's not baiting awards either. It's it's its mm. own film. Uh, so the film that beat it was Moscow Does Not Believe in Tears from the Soviet Union. <laughs> Do you know what that is? Uh, it is a film. Uh, this is the life story of three girlfriends from youth to autumn ages. Their dreams and wishes, love, delusions, different careers, and big late love. 8.1 out of 10. I'm sorry. <laughs> Autumn ages? I'm Meaning just the, you know, they're in the twilight of their years. <laughs> <laughs> they're in their autumn years. Oh, they're, oh, not the winter of their... They're not in the winter, they're in the autumn. autumn. They're I like, love it. I'm like, oh God. In, in, yeah, I almost want to be like, in, what in 1980 is considered autumn years? <laughs> <laughs> that, that could either make me really happy or really sad. Yeah. Um, yeah, so continuing on, another film was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Foreign Language Film. Didn't win. Um, it was nominated for four BAFTAs, including Best Cinematography and Best Film. Uh, and it won Best Costume Design and Best Director at ah, the BAFTAs. The costumes were... We didn't actually spend a lot of time on the costumes, but the costumes were fabulous. Yeah, I have some more info about the costumes coming up, but, like, wow. I love, just quite quickly, how they use their costumes to express their feelings. Like, yes. And then they flap their little um, um, sleeves out. And then, you know, the costumes very much sort of they, they, support their their uh, character and what they're feeling. They're not just on them. They're not just a, a random prop. They're using it to help build and accentuate the characters themselves. Mm. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, the film won the Palm Door at the 1980 Cannes Film Festival, uh, tied with Bob Fosse's All That Jazz. So it was one of those rare years where two films two won. Two films won. Oh. Won the Palm Door. And it was listed as one of the top foreign films by the National Board of Review. Um, I think I'd mentioned earlier, Kagamusha translates in English to double or shadow warrior, which is why in the English language version of this film, it comes up saying Kagamusha, the shadow warrior as yes. a subtitle. Um, now we're into the fox of it all. <laughs> yes. You look like you've got something else though. No, yes, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, so when, so basically Kurosawa was trying to build the budget for this film and going through the biggest Japanese studio and his usual collaborators, Toho, Toho Studios, uh, they couldn't fulfill the budget's demands to make this film. Um, this is around the time that uh, American filmmakers George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola had become friends with Kurosawa. And uh, they were massive, massive fans. Uh, many say that uh, Star Wars is actually a remake of a hit, The Hidden Fortress, a Kurosawa film. Uh, even so much so that on the Criterion DVD, there's George Lucas being like, I didn't just rip this off, it's fine. <laughs> it, but it's very clearly their influence, the, the influence Kurosawa had on them as filmmakers. I love that, though, that at a time where filmmakers like that mm. are coming into their own and, you know, by this stage, they've, they've what? 
Coppola is made so, for fucking first. Uh, Coppola is made by this point, Godfather 1, 2, the conversation, and he's about to start making... Um, oh, this is about the time that he's just wrapped Apocalypse Now. Yes. And I, it, yeah, I Apocalypse Now is 79, 80? Yeah, yeah, it comes out in 80, but it was filmed for three years. Yeah, so like it was 70s. the previous year. So yeah. he's in the middle of that, let's put it that yeah. way. And that they're still fanboying. Yeah. I love that. Mm. So basically, what ends up happening is... Uh, yeah, Kurosawa was visiting San Francisco in 1978, July 19th. 1978, so 10, 11 months after Star Wars has come out and become fucking Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, he need not be doing this at this point. Uh, he met Lucas and Coppola and uh, basically they became friends and they were talking about how he was saying, like, I, this is what I want to do, this is a passion project. He'd already done all of his gorgeous watercolour storyboard paintings and everything for it and Lucas basically went into Alan Ladd Jr. at 20th Century Fox and said, look, I've just made Star Wars. I saved your studio from bankruptcy. I've made the highest grossing film of all time. Um, As a favor to me, personally, can you give Toho and Kurosawa the $1.5 million to make up the rest of their budget? And in exchange, Fox, 20th Century Fox, you can have the worldwide distribution rights outside of Japan for this film. And they didn't really make money off it, but as Alan Ladd Jr. running the studio at the time was like, for you, George, sure. It's basically like for George and Francis, like, sure, we'll do this for you as a favor. Wow. How fucking cool is that? <laughs> like, I, I love say what, that. Say what you will about George Lucas. I was about to say, he's just redeemed himself in my eyes. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, He'd later ruin it, but yeah. Yeah, and so because of that, uh, this film became the, uh, this was the first time distribution rights for a Japanese film had been pre-sold to a major Hollywood studio, and this was the first uh, Japanese film to get a major release and wide release by an American studio. Do you know what how it was received in America? Or? Um, Not well. Eh, eh, like fine. Like I said, it they they really rode high on the like presented by George Luke George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola present Kurosawa's Kagamusha. Yeah. And like I said, it went on to get like Golden Globe and Oscar nominations and things. Like it was, it was it did fine, but yes. it wasn't. You know, it's the interesting thing is there's a uh, special feature on the Blu-ray and DVD of. Coppola and Lucas talking about it all and Coppola is like kind of throwing some subtle shade it's really interesting he's like the first like 10 minutes is them just like blowing Kurosawa because <laughs> of course <laughs> they're like you know lapping it up and you know he's the greatest and then like they end up getting in and then they tell the story of how they got it done and then Coppola's kind of just like, yeah, you know, it's just like, you know, you have a great master filmmaker and you hope that they're going to be on the top of their game, but, like, you know, sometimes what it is isn't. And he's like... Whoa. Uh, yeah. To which I'm like, are you talking about yourself here, Francis? Yeah. like... Jesus. No offense, buddy, but you kind of haven't had a fucking good movie since Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> Raymake is okay, but, yeah. It, it's super interesting, and I get kind of where he's coming from re-watching it, where it's like he's he's putting his name onto something that he's hoping is going to be Seven Samurai, and it's not. not. But it's also like, fuck off, dude. Like, were you doing this for name recognition? Like, or were you doing it, it to actually in a way, help an artist get something He's poo-pooing on the nice thing he did. Yeah, exactly. It's really weird. Like, he, what he did was amazing, and then, then Kurosawa from that could then go on to make, you know, hmm. a bunch of other films and continue his career and all that sort of thing. And yeah. why afterwards? Like, I'm guessing this It was, like, 2004, 2005? so long after. What's that? That's, um... Fucking, like, 25... 24, yeah. yeah, 24, 25 years later. Like, just... What? Yeah, but it's also, like... 
you know, we all know Coppola is not the greatest person, so it's fine. Yeah, like, if you've seen Hearts of Darkness, you know he's kind of a fucking, fucking asshole. asshole. yeah. So you're just like, all right, fine, whatever. But I just thought that was interesting. But, like, fucking well done for those two and, like, helping Absolutely. to get this made. And That's seeing an artist, uh, an artist that they admired struggling and, like, helping... Like, it's like, you did so much for us to inspire us to make the films that we would then go on I to make. I love that. Let us help you, oh, which is beautiful. so beautiful. I love, love, um, love that. Yeah. Uh, to help secure part of the funding required to make the film, a Kur- uh, Kurosawa teamed up with Suntory Whiskey. <laughs> Suntory. Oh, yes. <laughs> make uh, Suntory time. The company created advertisements for the drink on the set of Kagamusha, and these advertisements are available as extras on the Criterion DVDs and Blu-ray. <laughs> Sorry, can you say that again? So, basically, using the epic sets and the, everything that they had constructed for making the movie, they made Suntory whiskey commercials on the set of the movie. Oh. And they are included on the criteria. For some reason, I'm like, I didn't see an ad for whiskey. No, no, it's just like they aired on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Having assisted Akira Kurosawa by raising finance for the film, George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola acted as executive producers on the picture and supervised the preparation of the English subtitles. Uh, Publicity for the picture maintained that the subtitling of the movie was some of the clearest and easiest to read subtitling that had ever appeared in a foreign language film. Uh, moreover, the two actively promoted the picture in the Western world and English-speaking territories kind of traveling and being like, see this fucking movie, watch it, watch it, watch it. So is there an English dub? Uh, no, no, just the subtitles. Just sorry. the subtitles. But, but in English-speaking territories, Coppola and Lucas did the press to promote the film. So cool. it's interesting because I imagine in 1980, a lot of the world's not watching subtitled films. No. I mean, then even now they're not. But I've seen so many dubbed foreign language films it's yeah. an interesting choice but you know i've watched so many subtitled films now that it, it didn't didn't yeah. even affect me like are these easy to read or not I'm no just, well, that's i don't the, even notice anymore yeah. again fucking uh bong joon ho like if you can't can over get over that three inch hurdle of subtitles yes. Like, yes. yeah uh shooting for the film lasted nine months wait that's all? Is that yeah. long? Oh, it's, pr- it's fucking it's almost a year. <laughs> it's a very long, long time. Oh, okay. uh, almost two months of these were spent filming the final battle scene. Uh, no, really? Yeah. There was no battle scene. But it's... You think, oh, that is huge. It, it goes for like 20, 25 minutes. It sure does. All those extras. Oh, the horse yeah. thing. Actually, just quickly, we didn't actually speak about that prolonged horse torture, like... Fucking Jesus. Yeah, it's not horse. I just feel that it's no Because you see one that has its tongue outside, like. Oh. <laughs> that that scene was long as fuck. And it's like it's the thing of like I get it. Like you're you're presenting the horrors of war, and this is not a good thing. And like you know, it, it's it's presenting the aftermath of a battle. Essentially, with that scene is through the eyes of yes. the imposter, and so yes. you're like, I get it. Yes. Which is why he then it rallies him to then be a lone person to go and continue the charge in the yes. name of the law. Like, ah, oh, it's so beautiful it and sad. It is so beautiful. We actually didn't talk about the ending and how he floats downstream past the... Trying to reach for the flag. flag. Like, oh, so sad. I loved it. It's just like the futility of war, but it's just like in, in amongst all of that, we've had actually a our protagonist go from a common petty thief who was about to be crucified to actually believing in something. In it's the so, cause. Yeah. It's so lovely. Oh, we, we should have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're doing it now. It's we're fun. doing it now, yeah. Um, real 16th century costumes and armor were loaned from the Japanese museum for actors to wear in the film. What? Yeah, they were uh, reportedly important national treasures of Japan and treated with the utmost respect. 
going on to the costume stuff. Like, yeah, how how crazy is that? I wonder how many. And do you get an award for using historic? Like, you haven't. If someone say won an award for costumes, would you acknowledge that? Like, I didn't make a bunch of them. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I was smart enough to call the museum and ask. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The battle scenes utilized uh, hundreds of horses and thousands of extras, according to George Lucas. The picture had five thousand extras in the film's battle sequence at the finale. Two hundred specially trained horses were flown in from the U.S. Uh, Many of the riders were female members of the various equestrian organizations whom Kurosawa described as being way more daring than the men. Hmm. (laughs) Like, that's awesome. Um, There wasn't a lot of female representation in this film. There is one woman in this film. She appears at the 75-minute mark and in two scenes only. Well, that... She's oh, uh, like, sorry, we've also the, got the the, uh, the maiden mistresses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mistresses. Yeah. But you're right, like, they don't have a character. Not that I'm opposed to that, because it's not a film about that. No, and it's also time and historical place. Like, that's exactly. not what it is. Yeah, yeah. no. Uh, this is the other interesting thing about this film. Uh, Shintaro Katsu was originally slated to play the lead role. Uh, Shintaro Katsu, uh, criterion list is my know, he is the lead actor in all the, uh, Zatoichi films, the Blind Swordsman movies. Um, he was originally slated to play the role, but he was dismissed by Akira Kurosawa after Katsu came to a day of rehearsal bringing, uh, a video camera and crew, uh, saying that he wanted to document the experience and Kurosawa's methods for his acting class that he was teaching. Uh, this angered Kurosawa and he fired him. Rightly so. I'm kind of in agreement. Um, it's, Ask first. It's an interesting one. Uh, Katsu was then replaced by Kurosawa acting regular uh, Tatsuya Nakadai. Um, no offense to Katsuya Nakadai, I, but being somewhat familiar with the Zatoichi films, it would have been really interesting to see this other actor in the role. I think um, because he had made his career playing like a blind, he's very emotive. Uh, it would have been very yeah yeah. But even if he's very emotive, if the director doesn't want you to be so, then you're not. Well, that that was also a problem. They they apparently butted heads a lot where um, Katsu was just like, no, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, no, Whereas no. Um, uh, Nakadai was just like, I worked with you before. What do you want me to do? Yeah. He, he was essentially clay for Kurosawa, whereas, yes. which I think leads to the kind of subtle performance <laughs> without throwing shade, I guess. Like, you know, being mean. Like, I think... No. He's not... It's not a standout role in the lead, and you kind of... It suits the film, though. The film yeah. is like that. True. Subtle. Yes. And slow. But, um, no, yeah. But then, then that just feeds into all the things I'm saying that I needed more of, I suppose. Exactly. So. It would have been, it's, it's the, um, you know, through the looking glass, like the what if could have yeah. been for this yeah. film. Yeah. Uh, but that's really about it. Um, you know, I've got like uh, Takashi Shimura being his final film. Well, we've already kind of talked about that. It's, it's all fine. Yeah, so that, that's about it for uh, Kagemusha. I'll quickly go into the Criterion Edition. Um, it comes with an audio commentary by Kurosawa scholar Stephen Prince, Lucas Coppola and Kurosawa, a 19-minute interview piece in which the directors, Lucas and Coppola, discuss Kurosawa and Kagemusha, a 41-minute documentary on the making of the film, image Kurosawa's continuity, a 44-minute video piece reconstructing Kagemusha through Kurosawa's paintings and sketches. Mm. Um... Gallery of Storyboards, printed by Kurosawa, and images of their realization on screen, theatrical trailers, as well as the usual booklet and essay that Criterion usually do. 
Um, I'm not one to talk normally about the DVD or anything like that, but the booklet inside is stunning with his uh, watercolor storyboards. Just gorgeous. I meant like I what I would give to have one of those paintings like yeah. up on my wall. Like good lord. Yeah, if you get an opportunity to do some research and have a look at his paintings, they're beautiful. Mm. And they really come through on that dream sequence as well. Like the influence of those watercolors shines in that scene yeah um but i guess that'll probably wrap us up for uh kagamusha uh, any final thoughts i'm looking forward to seeing more of his films yeah loved it beautiful beautiful film but just that little bit like it's a mid it's a mid-level kurosawa yeah. it's not quite hidden that i think i quiet. needed more but that's not a reflection on the film mm. uh well if you enjoy japanese cinema we got some more in store uh in our next episode when we've got a double feature of senjin suzuki films with uh, Youth of the Beast and Fighting Elegy, some uh, 60s Japanese gangsters. I haven't done a double yet, I think. No, no. I mean, well, I guess Fanny and Alexander was like a box set, but oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, but yeah, so it's going to be uh, interesting, so tune in for that. Otherwise, I guess uh, here's our usual pimping of the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, subscribe to that. Uh, if you want, patreon.com slash the patreon.com slash the criterion quest. Uh, we're wrapping up our uh, Spooktober horror commentaries. Yes, with Hereditary. Mm. Full on. You just watched that for the first time the other night. First time. <laughs> and then I followed it up with Midsummer, so I could talk about it. <laughs> Yikes. So uh, head over to patreon.com uh, slash the Criterion Quest for that. I'll link it in this episode description. But, um, yeah, you get access to all of that. And as well, uh, it helps us... Uh, pay for this show keep it going keep the lights on so thank you for those people that do subscribe and if you're interested head on over otherwise you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com or you can follow me on twitter at criterionquest otherwise uh thanks for jumping on lee uh thanks for watching kurosawa you're welcome <laughs> uh we'll be back in a fortnight's time with that double but uh thanks for listening everyone i'm chris i'm lee we'll see you next time <laughs>